Good morning, possibly good afternoon, maybe good evening, maybe good something, at least anyway. Hello, my name is Ed Fortune, you're listening to FabRadioInternational.com and you're listening to The Bookworm, a book, regular book radio show presented to you by me, Ed, and producer Al. Hello. Uh, and on today's show, we will be talking about... Well, all sorts of things are franchise fiction. Isn't that exciting? So we'll be talking about we'll be having talking a bit about Doctor Who. Yes. We'll be talking a bit about Star Wars. Yes. If we're very lucky, we'll be talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Maybe. So we have I hope of, so. We'll have all <laughs> of that coming up very, very, very soon. But coming up next, book news. We, we, we have book news. So, um, what should we start with first? The penguins. Start with the penguins. Start with the penguins. The penguins are not random. Um, oh. You'll be disappointed in you. The, the peng- they are pretty random. Well, they're very deliberate. Hi, Nympha. Hello. I can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm late. I'm sorry. Oh, we, we've, we've had uh, slight transmitter problems. We'll uh, quickly gloss over those. Um, so... A uh, penguin bondage book withdrawn from New Zealand preschool. <laughs> Such a great what? headline. <laughs> yeah, um, I had a conversation with someone this morning about it because my friend Kay, who was saying, uh, and we, we looked at this piece of news and she went, hmm. <laughs> and I went, hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm all for, you know, promoting healthy sexual appetite possibly not in preschool well the problem was <laughs> is that what happened was the person ordering the books looked at it and went oh it's a cute book about penguins um ordered it because it was a cute book looking about penguins and didn't read all the pages oh well and done it, you and it was aimed it wasn't actually aimed it wasn't designed or marketed to children it's a, a cute thing it's a cute christmas present the, the well, actual, the gay the penguin in your life it's the cheesy stocking filler that you give to your partner for a giggle yes it's it's you know because it, it's two penguins, they're very much in love. They Aww. love each other very much, and they 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 they're a bit shallow and they're a bit vain, but they're very much in love, so it's all fine. And they, they get on and they do all sorts of interesting things. Um, the book is called Guy and Gus and Waldo's Book of Love. Um, mm-hmm. It has some very very cute penguins, and unfortunately, it has one page where they are where Gus and Waldo are spicing up their love life. And I believe Waldo is in a collection of. Um, they both are. Yes. They're, they're both in the S and M. So kinky penguins, kinky kinky penguins. No 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 no, penguins that love each other freely. I, be, I believe everything's consensual. Well, yes, but that, that you can also describe that as kink, unless I've uh, I've missed a liberal update. Um, I believe you can say kinky penguins. I think that's fine. I suppose you can. I suppose you can. But anyway, two penguins who love each other very much for uh, in a book that looks like it's for children, but in fact is it's for not. adults was mistakenly given to a whole bunch of preschoolers who, you know... Took it home to their parents and went, look, mummy, these penguins love each other so much. And the mother fainted. Yes, I'm sure the children had absolutely no idea nor did they care, and the parents caused controversy. Talking about foolish people making controversies, there's a gay-themed book called... uh, Let me see if I can get the name right. King and King. King and King, yes. King and King, which is about a prince who falls in love with another prince um, and and wants to get married. Um, In Orange County... (sighs) Oh. Oh. They they were outraged that this book even existed by the the seams of things. Hang on, isn't Orange County in um, California? Yeah. I thought they were supposed to be fairly liberal. Uh, she said, you know, Hollywood massively there, brushing like the entirety of America. A gay icon before. Shame on you. That wouldn't have happened in New York. Um, I believe Orange County is a bit like Cambridge. 
Yeah. Oh. In the same way that they, you know, it, they, they've got an awful lot of freedoms and an awful lot of money, but they don't really want anyone else to have those same things. Oh dear. Yeah. We're not yeah. judgmental here, by the way. Not judgmental at all. It's just I'm using shorthand, uh, very shorthand. I understand it's a much more complicated and difficult issue than that. And please send your outrage. <laughs> and to Ed, and make sure it's it's addressed to Ed Fortune. <laughs> um, and, and and you can find us on Radio Bookworm on Facebook, Radio Bookworm on Twitter, Tumblr, anywhere. And you can obviously also re-listen to us to your heart's content by subscribing on iTunes. But that plug to one side and that, that dip into controversy. Yeah. No, no, I want to go for now, for now, now. <laughs> but uh, yes, obviously we see nothing wrong with King and King. It's, it's it sounds uh, really cute, actually. It does sound really cute. I think I think it's just a political issue that's being batted around because I don't know. Is it is it coming up to election season in the states? Probably isn't it always coming up to election season in the yeah, states? Everyone's current election so, um, season. Yes, conservatism and all that <laughs> malarkey getting away from politics for a moment. Um, the wonderful Jonathan Green of Snow Books has announced that he's opened a submissions window for a thing called Game Over! Which is a collection of horror stories inspired by video games with a focus on nostalgia. Um, so story games such as Cuba and Space Invaders, Gauntlet, Frogger... It's the little people that live in between Tatris pieces and get squashed every time, <laughs> time. one of them goes every down. Every time! Every single time. What was that, that Tatris built on blood! <laughs> Isn't there a, is, it, is it a YouTube Tetris bit video about Tetris? The, t- the, the, the Russian thing is brilliant. I don't know if it is actually Russian, but it's set in Russia. Am I imagining this? You're oh, looking at me like I'm a f- like I'm. No, I'm no, I know the one. I know the one you mean. Where it's all like it's all like grim and it's like kind of post uh, cold war. Yeah, of, and then and the people well, people employed to move the blocks around. It's got the Tetris theme music. My Nintendo Tetris. At the end, you basically the more points you got, the bigger the the nuclear rockets you could build. Oh, I never got that far. Did I'm, you I'm not? La- I'm very bad at video games. Any any time you hit a hundred thousand points on my Nintendo game like like you know uh, your hand portable nintendo uh you you d- you got a rocket and and really? the more i yes the more i played and the bigger the rocket got so it was like oh my god it's nuclear war in my hands it, it could just be space exploration it could be building it in, uh, no it wasn't oh no because it, it totally exploded but if you gave me uh, like a rocket I'd, I'd want to go to Mars and then die cause and then die because <laughs> there's nothing there well no I'd land on Mars and my last words would be like ha I got their first Elon Musk and then uh, I'd die and then die uh, I don't think you'd get to that first word I'd have a t-shirt with it on okay. um, just to annoy him so you basically it'll be your skeleton in two seconds and <laughs> the words on it very faded just, t-shirt just, just to annoy a billionaire which is probably not worth it anyway get with gone off the point entirely that's surprising we? for our show <laughs> so game over is a uh, submissions window open for people who want to write short stories about video games um, it's one of those things they don't actually have the IP rights for any of the video games so they can't do is specifically Mario Brothers see a Tetris short story is already planned yeah. they got there but uh, you can find full details on the Snowbooks uh, website. Uh, and on our Tumblr. And on our Tumblr. Uh, Pam McMillan has bought the Dark Circus series uh, from, um, well, by Laura, Laura Lamb. So they're terribly excited that they have bought her a near future thriller at False Heart. Um, and also they have access to the, the Dark Circus series, which has a massive cult following, if memory mm. serves. And one of these days, we will review it on the show. We should do that at some point. Um, I think we're out of news. What? Uh, what? What? How are we out of news? God knows. What else it's mainly we? because Amazon's being quiet. Uh, Amazon she's sulking a bit. She's so sulking in the corner. Yeah. Giving us a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's an absolute pile of conventions and things, and occasionally we fill in by talking about conventions. But, you know, it's MCM next week. and <laughs> Which M- MCM Manchester? MCM London. Um. Which is the one that people are. It, 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 it irks me slightly that people are like, oh, well, this is the major MCM. You know, I, do you know, to be honest, I think the, the major comic convention this year is going to be the Black Bull Comic Con. Absolutely. Because it looks fantastic it and there's so many things going on and it's difficult for everyone to get to in the country, which is my definition of central. <laughs> uh, 
So, and I'd much, you know what? I'd much rather Blackpool Comic Con being like this independent kind of, you know, one convention, big mega thing. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather it become the the big British recognised convention rather than LSCC or London mm. MCM, simply because they're in London. Mm. You know, it's nice that London have big conventions. I like travelling to London. For but big how much is a pint? Come on, have like a word. <laughs> Have but, a word. I have two words. But you know, Starburst magazine is a northern magazine, and Fab Radio International is based in Manchester. But what was it the last time you went to London? Packet, a pint of cider, a pint of some sort of beer that you had. Obviously, it was a production meeting, listeners, uh, and a packet of crisps. And we barely got changed from a tenner. Two pints and a packet of crisps. Horrendous. It's one of the things when I was at when I was at Worldcon. The last Worldcon was in London, and the point of going to Worldcon is to prop up the bar and talk nonsense. Mm. But I had to remortgage at least mm. one of the dogs. Mm. <laughs> so it's good you don't have dogs, and it was someone else's then. Yeah, I remortgaged <laughs> it. Yeah. Someone else's dog. Someone else's yeah. dog. Well, They'll th- never know. <laughs> be fine. Be fine. <laughs> So we mentioned Star Wars. <laughs> so while we're terribly excited by the Force Awakens, because it looks amazing, um, I, I believe some of Julie, we're home. <laughs> Julie, we're home. I believe some. Of, I believe some of okay. the. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. happy tears. He looks really well, actually. He looks really good for a very, very old Wookie. Uh-huh. Uh, he looks great, but Wookies live for a long Wookie time. <laughs> I can say, if Wookies live longer than humans. Do do they describe like do they describe human ages and human years in the same way that we describe dogs and dog years? Most likely, but I think it'll be even more than that because I mean, Chewie and Yoda apparently way go way back, and 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 then you get you get Chewie now, so it, it's it's he's gotta be like a hundred years old. Let's face it, but he's looking really well. But anyway, we've got <laughs> not a grey hair on that uh, flowing the flowing locks. You see, I was expecting at least a few grey hairs, you know, or maybe maybe he dyes it. I don't. I see. I th- I think he's like the Dorian Gray. So so Han Solo gets older, but Chewie stays young forever. Do you not think he's just using Band for Two Thousand for wiggies? Band for head. Carefully, surely coming in. Anyway, there are there are no wiggies in Star Wars: Lords of the Sith. That's because um, they're Sith. That's because it's a book about Sith. And uh, in the same way that we were talking earlier in the show about a story about two penguins that love each other very much, oh, Lords of the Sith is about uh, Vader and the Emperor. Who love each other very, very much? No no no. no. no, 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 no. That's a slash fic. <laughs> <laughs> uh so, so just to give some context to this particular novel, um, what Disney have done since they've bought Lucasfilm is they have turned around to the decades' worth of Star Wars canon that are in the novels and they've hit a big red button. Nah, and restart. They've, they've restarted it. They've turned all of that into legend. So all of those are not relevant stories to their ongoing canon. Anything pr- produced, however, after Heir to the Jedi, which is one of the books that we recently reviewed, mm-hmm. um, is part of the ongoing Star Wars canon. As this well. appears slightly confusing. What they've basically done is they've turned around and they've said, you see all that stuff that you read for years that George Lucas didn't appear to care about and had a complicated set of canon rules for? Yes. Forget that. Oh. That's now, that's all just cool stuff that you can read that has a Star Wars theme. Great. It's fantastic stuff. Ka-chunk. This stuff now, going forward, is stuff that we might be using in the movies. Or is at least relevant to our ongoing ongoing Star Wars creation. No, it's fine. One of the interesting things is... So what you're, sorry, what you're saying is that anything that happened between the last Lucas movie and the, the first Disney approved is fanfic. Yes. That's approved in some way. It's fanfic. Remember this, people. It's fanfic! <laughs> Except for... The, they are exceptions. So the Clone Wars counts, the Rebels counts. There's yeah. a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, but... Anyway. So, so it's complicated. Mm-hmm. It is. Yes. <laughs> is that their Facebook status? <laughs> Disney's Disney. relationship Disney. with Star Wars. Disney. It's complicated. I, c- I could mock that up for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, what they what, Do they've, it. what they've done <laughs> is they they only had a bunch of books that were being written at the time when the, the change happened. So, Ed's the Jedi is a good example of a story they were going to write anyway. And they have had to run back and then quickly do a light edit mm-hmm. to change it so it fits in with what's going forward. Mm-hmm. 
Lords of the Sith, again, was a book. Paul S. Kemp has written loads of Star Wars stuff in the past. He is an experienced Star Wars franchise writer, so he's familiar with the territory. Mm-hmm. However, he's now been allowed to explore something that they haven't really explored, which is pretty much the start of the rebellion. Mm-hmm. So what we've got, the the setup for this is, we've got the Rodians. Is it the Rodians? Um, I don't know. You read the book, Ed. You tell I us. I read the book. Yeah, I, I am so far away from knowing anything about this. It's not true. <laughs> you know, Rodians are actually where Greedo, Greedo's people's from, and no, nope, Greedo. That's got nothing to do with this book. <laughs> he said, but you can understand why I've made that mistake because I'm talking about Ryloth. Uh, Ryloth, of course, is the place where you know the people with the the, the long head tails come uh, from. Yes, I know. Well, they're spice miners, and they mine spice, which you need to use to make all sorts of chemical stuff oh and all God. sorts of bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. So they have been in, they were enslaved by. Um, the separatists during during the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. and then the Je- Jedi turned up and went, "We have freed you all!" And they were like, "Cool, who are you mining spice for now? Because we we still need to pay the bills, uh, and and so on." The 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 Empire turned up and went, "No, you're all our slaves now. That's how it works. You are slaves." All the Twi'leks from Ryloth Rala, Rala, even became slaves, officially slaves. They were rounded up, put in slave pens, put into the mines to be slaves. Oddly enough, this is also where the Star Wars Rebellion starts out. No way. Shocking. Because the slaves aren't very happy about no, it's this. No, shocking. Well. It's take away people's rights, people's freedom, treat them like, you know, s- slaves with, with no health care. It's amazing what people will do. <laughs> subtle. 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 So, Move on. Moving on. So, essentially, um, uh, the spice stops flowing. The spice, which is re- required Don't for Don't go into Dune mode. It's weird now. It, it's not. It's not. It, the spice, the spice is, must flow. The spice must flow, but the spice is also a space opera cliche. Yeah. So, spice is a space opera cliche. So, spice is not the thing that they use to navigate hyperspace with in this. Spice is just a chemical that they need. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it grows. It's like ore. It's like ore. It grows in their minds, in, in their, their porous caves. They have to go in. It's very dangerous. They have to. They have to retrieve the spice, mm. uh, and all these all these lovely Twi'leks who you know we know Twi'leks from the movies because they're the ones with the long long tails on their heads and they do the sexy dancing. Um, that that that's partially why, that's partially why though in in the rest of the world because Star Wars does this weird thing where you introduce like you know oh well this is a Twi'lek this Twi'lek is a slave therefore all Twi'leks are slaves this is yeah you know, you know this is a Borfin this Borfin is a spy therefore all Borfins are spies. It's kind of kind of odd, but that's how spa- that's one of the rules of space opera. That's how mm. these things work. And you know what? We've got like two, three minutes in, and I still haven't actually reviewed the book. So the plot <laughs> is this: there on the planet Ryloth, there is a growing rebellion. They're really clever. They're really well organized. They're really con- they're, they're conserving their resources. They're you know they're they're looking after themselves. They're really smart. Reducing the amount of spice that's flowing, they're hurting the empire, but not too much. But they, you know, it's a resistance, it's a rebellion. So, so just enough that basically that they're um, they're keeping they keep they're keeping it flowing, so they won't notice that there's so much less. Unfortunately, that do doesn't notice. work. Yeah, of course, See, it doesn't. What happens is that a big imperial star destroyer turns up to try and uh, sort all of this nonsense out. Even worse, it's Vader. Uh, it's Vader and the Emperor. <laughs> oh my God, I'm fangirling already. And a message comes across to the rebels saying, "You do realise that Vader and the Emperor are turning up." And they sit down, they have a meeting, because <laughs> that's exactly what you want to do. Because they are the you big know, bodies of the universe are coming. Let's sit down and have some tea and talk about it. Are they British? No, they have a meeting, and they, the, the meeting basically goes along the lines of. All the all the really angry kind of people who've been running around murdering imperial forces and have been you know, desperately trying to fight back, and all the slightly more rational ones who are like, no, hang on, we have to play this safe. They all sit down and they go, this is our one good chance. This is our one good chance. We throw everything we have at the Emperor. We throw everything we have at Darth Vader. And we do our damnedest to kill the pair of them, and we cut off this at the head. So that's their plan. Well done. In fairness, but that's what you would do. It makes perfect sense. They've got a they've got a guy they've they've got a guy who is actually loyal to the emperor who they've um, blackmailed. They've been blackmailing him subtly for years, and they just turn around and they go, right, we've sprung our blackmail. You have to do what we say. 
and he kind of half betrays them, half doesn't betray them, sort of thing. It's kind of predict- predictable. He's got his own agenda. He's trying to, you know, he's trying to get out of this alive as well. Everyone's trying to, get, everyone is trying to get out of the assassination attempt on Darth Vader. Nobody's and the getting alive. out of this alive. Nobody's getting out of this alive. Nobody. And the result is essentially this this disaster that goes across because there's no way that you can well story wise you're not going to kill the emperor yeah you're not going to kill darth vader because they need to turn up in the movies mm-hmm. we know this as a reader they don't know this as characters and they are they just throw everything and just when you think they've run out of resources they pull something else out and they keep going and it's a story of desperation is it a good book it's quite fun is it lightly written yes it is it's a franchise tie-in book it is not meant to win any awards for literature that's not its job what it's meant to do is it's meant to put a big great big grin on your face and to entertain you thoroughly and it does that very well it's packed with action it's packed with violence there's an absolutely glorious bit where the emperor decides to start having a fight and draws a lightsaber yeah. Um, Should you be throwing lightsabers? That sounds dangerous. No, he lights his lightsaber and starts a fight. He he also do, he's also in, in it with the lightning. Oh, he's he's in it with the lightning, yo. There's a there's a <laughs> there's a. Uh, <laughs> oh dear. Darth Sidious in the house. Darth Sidious in that. Oh, could you imagine them on the decks? <laughs> I can totally do it. I can do it. <laughs> and then he turns around and Darth Vader who's plugged into the system he just like <laughs> operates his chest anyway we've gone off on a tangent no master don't make bring me it back to the books. again bring it back to the books <laughs> but there is actually a relation one, part of one of the subplots is their relationship and there's a wonderful bit where it just says um, Darth Vader was completely aware at some point that he has to betray the Emperor because that's the safe way and, and the Emperor is waiting for the betrayal and if it's a successful betrayal he'll be very happy because he's done his job properly. Because he's done his job. That's how it's supposed to work. Mm. Um, but this is the Emperor. He doesn't do how he's supposed to do. Well, the Emperor, the emperor clearly has, has Vader outmatched in every single level oh, of manipulation yeah. all the way across. And you can but, see I mean, you, you can see it in the movies as well. I don't think anybody's going to be shocked or spoilered by this because, you know, movies have been out for, like, 30 years. But, weirdly, it doesn't... I've seen this done before with this relationship. And in this particular case, what Kemp does, Paul S. Kemp, who wrote the novel, he doesn't make it an abusive relationship. I've, he, I've never really not, thought of it as an abusive relationship. He's, you know, Vader, Vader, Vader is is the apprentice. He's, you know, he's not he's not an extension of the Emperor's will, mm. except when the Emperor demands that he is, mm. uh, sort of thing. It's it's interestingly balanced. I've seen it in the past where it's been less less amicable See, and more vile. I can I can more relate to this having seen obviously the six movies because really he always posed himself as a kind of mentor, like a father figure almost. So in my head, it's never been sort of like the. You know, the Emperor is obviously superior in the ways of, of the Force. Uh, he's superior in the ways of fighting. He's much superior in terms of of, of, of um, cunning and, and smarts. Because, you know, as much as I love Vader slash Anakin, he isn't the brightest button in the box. Bless his cotton socks. Um, so, you, you know, we all know he's not, in the end, he's not the one that changes things. It's, it's his son that, that does the hard it? work. is it? Because we haven't seen the other movies Well, yet. we shall see what happens next, but that's after, and he's already dead at this point, so, you know. So, is it any good? Yes, it's quite fun. Um, who can you get it from? It's available on Century um, by Paul S. Kemp. It's called Lord of Sips. It's uh, Star Wars. Um, and partially it's marking time towards the movie, partially it's a lot of fun and you should read it, and uh, we can't wait for the next one, which we're hoping is the Chuck Wendig um, Ewoks burning book. <laughs> Across the world, twenty four hours a day. Fat Radio International. 
So, uh, coming up next, I talked yesterday to Simon Gurrier, who has recently produced a book called, I believe it's The Science of Doctor Who. And um, it's, it's Simon Gurrier, if you're a Doctor Who book fan, you will recognise the name. He teamed up with a lovely scientist chap and uh, wrote a fantastic book. And we caught up with Simon to find out more. And uh, that's coming up next. FabRadioInternational.com Simon Gurrier, welcome to the Bookworm. Uh, thank you for having me. What can you tell us about the scientific secrets of Doctor Who? Well, it's a exciting and beautiful-looking book, which you can buy in shops now. What more do you want to know? Why does Doctor Who need a science manual? I think it's an area that hasn't really been explored before. Um, there are uh, books relating to other uh, TV shows and franchises. That I think this sort of began with the physics of Star Trek, but there are books about the science of Harry Potter and the science of Discworld and, and so on. Um, and although there's a um, there's a book by uh, Paul Parsons on the on the science of Doctor Who, which was published in 2006, that was much more about um, sort of looking at the latest developments in science. Uh, and, and Paul Parsons interviewed various practitioners at the cutting edge of science and things. Whereas what we wanted to do was kind of use Doctor Who to explore the sort of themes of science and um, so our idea was to use Doctor Who as a, a to kind of explore connections between science the history of science and the program to kind of um, offer a new perspective on both that was that was the idea so do you go all the way back to Kit Peddler and the Cybermen and that sort of thing Oh yeah, oh yeah. We we talk about the uh, we t- it's from the very first episode, to the Unearthly Child, in nineteen sixty three, up to uh, the most recent Christmas special. How has the show's relationship with science changed over the years? I think there's a number of things. Firstly, when the show began in the sixties, the BBC had a, a remit of to um, inform, educate, and entertain, and you can see that written, you know, very firmly into the show. So the the, the doctors. Uh, got three companions, two of them are school teachers, one is a history teacher and one is a science teacher. And as they go through their adventures, there are various um, developments and, and things in the plot where, where Ian's scientific knowledge comes out. So they, um, they use the fact that uh, they, they, they make some deductions about static electricity to escape from the Daleks in their, in their first adventure with the Daleks. Yeah, Marco Polo, uh, another early story... Uh, the, um, they're in the desert and they run out of water, but the um, change in temperature causes condensation in the TARDIS, and that's how they, they survive, and they, they sponge the uh, condensation off the walls. So there's that kind of scientific, kind of school-level scientific knowledge written into the series. Um, at the end of the first Doctor's run, the uh, script editor, Jerry Davis, was actively looking for scientists to come and consult on the show. And he um, he spoke to various people. He spoke to um, Patrick Moore. He spoke to uh, Alex Cox, who's um, who would later go on to become famous for the Joy of Sex uh, book. But he um, at the time was very famous. For, uh, uh, he appeared on TV all the time, talking about old age and um, the processes of old age. And he eventually settled on um, a, an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor called Kit Pedler. Um, who was very interested in where technology might take us and how it might change us as people. And between them, uh, they came up with a number of stories, uh, one of which was the first story with the Cybermen. The, the, the two of them invented the Cybermen. So you can see that kind of active interest in science. Um, later, you get people like Douglas Adams, who was a script editor of Doctor Who in the late 70s. And although his stories are very, very funny, they're really um, bedded in some very uh, high-level uh, scientific concepts and, and all sorts of things about how you might communicate with aliens, um, how life uh, began on Earth, things of that sort, uh, even like wormholes and black hole technology. And um, I gather that one of his writers, David Fisher, was even working with the sort of physics teams in Cambridge to get his his ideas right. Um, so, so you can see those kind of sensibilities in the show, but at the same time, there are other periods of the show and other writers and production teams who were just less, less, you know, worried about it. Less, it, it seemed less of a concern. So, um, yes, it's changed over the years, but but it's changed over the years really by who's in charge, who's writing it, 
what people's individual sensibilities are. How do you compact such a dense subject into one book? My overriding concern was I wanted to spread a broad range of Doctor Who and I wanted to cover a broad range of scientific disciplines. So make sure I'd covered physics and chemistry and biology, uh, try and cover some mathematics, try and cover some psychology. Um, there's even a chapter on whether history is a science. I also needed to make sure that they were that whatever I was talking about, there were Doctor Who examples or ways of linking it into Doctor Who. And that limited some of my choices. So I would have really liked to have done... I mean, to give an example of the kind of where I went but didn't get anywhere, the sort of cul-de-sacs of it, um, I was quite interested in doing something about the gap, what we think of as the Dark Ages, where there's a gap between the sort of tradition of the Greeks and Romans and then the Renaissance. And in that time, you've got um, what Jim Al-Khalili refers to as the golden age of Arabic science, when there's all sorts of things going on in uh, what was known as the House of Wisdom in Baghdad and various other places like Cordoba. Um, and I thought that was really interesting and a very Doctor Who kind of idea of, of changing the sort of consensus opinion of, of how the history of science has worked. But I just couldn't find ways to link that in to Doctor Who stories. There weren't enough... There wasn't enough Doctor Who stories either set in the Middle East or dealing with those sorts of issues. Um, you know, even with there were there weren't stories where there were analogies with that that were set on other planets or things like that. Um, and the nearest I could find was there's a line in a in a 1965 story called The Crusade, where the Doctor is in a marketplace in um, just outside Jerusalem or, or, or in that sort of area, and he. Um, he comments on how brightly coloured the, the clothes on sale are, to which the, the um, shopkeeper says, oh, yes, it's the latest thing from Basra. And I was kind of, can I link that to the developments in Basra of scientific knowledge and the way that they were translating the stuff from the ancient Greek and whatever? And it just became too tenuous. So, so it was those sorts of things I was thinking about. And, and um, you know, and, and a lot of it is... is sort of lateral connections and things like that. And what, what, you're, what we were trying to do was to, to kind of give cogent, solid examples from Doctor Who that illustrated and explained the science. Um, and that, that really kind of dictated our choices of what we covered. How will this book influence your future Doctor Who work? Well, the, the, the book actually comes out of work we were already doing. Uh, Marek has been the um, unofficial scientific advisor on some of the um, plays I've written for Big Finish, um, which which is actually where a lot of this stuff came from. Um, I wrote a, a first Doctor story called The Cold Equations, uh, in which there's, a, um, there's an accident in Earth orbit. And that came directly from something Marek had said at an event that, that he organised, where I was a guest there which was one of the first times we met. Um, and literally, he said, you know, this, the litter in orbit is a problem. And I thought, oh, there's a, there's a story there. There's something that we could do. And when I started writing it, I asked him if he'd look over it and make sure that it was a, the science was okay and I wasn't making any obvious errors. And um, the, the upshot of that was I ended up doing a GCSE in astronomy at the observatory where he works. And um, he consulted on, on the things I've written. And I've written a number of plays and stories that he's looked over and sort of pointed me in the right direction. So this book has come rather naturally out of, out of that. Um, and the answer is, yes, I've learned lots just by doing the reading and just by thinking about what we were writing about. Um, and there are bits and pieces I've been writing this week, in fact, that, that have come out of stuff that I've discovered. Um, it's also the way that these things work is, is they kind of lead you to other things. So just... You know, the book is done and delivered and is out there. But I'm reading another book at the moment, just sort of off on the back of it, which is a, um, it's called The Strangest Man by Graham Farmelow, which is a biography of the mathematician Paul Dirac, who worked in quantum mechanics. And, and as you may know, the Doctor Who companion, Adric, um, was named by script editor Christopher Bidmead um, in Dirac's honour. And it's an, Adric is an honour, uh, is a, sorry, Adric is an anagram of Dirac. And what I hadn't realised until I read the introduction of the book was that Dirac was also the first person to um, come up with the idea of antimatter. And Adric was obviously killed in a, uh, in a spaceship crash where the spaceship was powered by antimatter. And I found myself wondering, is that, was that planned? Is that just a coincidence? Did somebody think, oh, that's, 
you know, that's something that we could do. Is, is there? So immediately I'm thinking, oh, well, there, there could have been a chapter on that. We could have done something that, that kind of picked up on that, that idea. Um, and I find myself wanting to talk to uh, Christopher Bidmead or, or Eric Sayward, who wrote the story where Adric died, to, to kind of go, was that, did you do that on purpose or, or, or what? So, that, I mean, those are the kind of things that it leads to. Um, and maybe there's a story in that somewhere or a feature or something. If you had to save one book, say the civilization is collapsing and you only get to save one book, what would that book be? Wow. I think the two the two books that have, have had a amazing influence on my life. Um, I was a, a terrible, uh, unscientific uh, art student. I did an English degree and then a master's in English and history. And science is always something I've struggled with. And then I read um, Bill Bryson's A Short History of Nearly Everything, which entirely changed my outlook on these things. Um, that not only should I apply myself, but that it was fascinating and interesting and there were ways into it that I could understand and grasp and tackle with. Um, I think that's an extraordinary book, uh, uh, an extremely detailed, extremely comprehensive science book for the lay reader, which is no mean feat at all. Um, and then there's a then there's a book that I um, adore, which is it's the book of a 1978 television series um, called Connections, which was presented by James Burke and is um, the, the book is by him as well. And what he does is he gives a sort of history of science, but by following threads. So it's quite esoteric and it, it sort of makes lateral connections and links between disparate things. So he talks about, you know, the, the series of discoveries that led to the invention of the thermos flask and then jumps from the thermos flask to the space rocket because effectively the engines on a space rocket are a, a giant thermos flask. Um, and that, again, made connections, you know, literally uh, uh, in my head and, and made me think about science in a completely different way. And I think between them, those are the two big influences on this book, but they're also where I would recommend anybody who, like me, feels that science is something that they left to other people. Um, they, were, they were a great entry into that, and, and I think those would be the ones I would like to keep. Sure. Oh. Uh, Daleks or Cybermen? Daleks. I don't, I don't know why. If you'd asked me another day, I probably would have said Cybermen. But um, yes, for today, Daleks. Science fantasy or science fiction? Well, I don't. I don't mind both, um, and and I would. I could be very ponderous and wonder what you meant by each. Um, I think. I think the approach to science can can be different. I mean, there there are things in Doctor Who in the history of Doctor Who that were, as we talk about in the book, there are things that in the history of Doctor Who that they put in because they thought it would be a big, funny, ridiculous idea that then turned out to be real science. Truth or beauty? I think truth is beautiful. Truth. Simon Garrier, thank you very much. You're, you're very welcome. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fabrian International. Welcome back to the book forum. This is Nympha Hayes and I'm here with the lovely Ed Fortune. Hello. Um, if you've just tuned in, you literally missed our interview with Simon Guerrier about the science of Doctor Who, his upcoming book. Um, if you have just listened to it, how cool was that? Um, so it seems that today we were just saying with Ed, we've got a sort of like a big franchise type of, of show you know we've talked about um, uh, Lords of the Sith um, which is a Star Wars novel uh, we've just talked about Doctor Who um, I was going to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, season um, 9 which is the second graphic novel season uh, but actually I got something in the post that was quite quite exciting um, so I've kind of decided to talk about something else, which is, funny enough, still a massive franchise. Um, and it's um, a Game of Thrones, the graphic novel. So I got sent by Harper Voyager the fourth volume of the graphic novels, uh, which basically includes the... Um, the volumes from issue 19 to issue 24. Um, and um, it, it, it's so pretty. <laughs> 
It's really pretty, so I really wanted to talk about it instead. I, I'm going to look at this shiny. It's so pretty. It's really pretty. Um, so it's a hardcover. Uh, as I said, it's it's published by Harper Voyager, and it's story, obviously, by George R. R. Martin, illustrated by Tommy Patterson, and adapted by Daniel Abraham. Um, now, um, because I have seen... Um, up to I'm just uh, catching up on season three because um, I don't have Sky and all that jazz um, so you know I've got all of the juicy <coughs> bits to come still but yeah um, it's it's um, it, I'm, I'm up to season three but I know the story because my husband's read all of the books and all my friends have and I I'm not one of those that isn't really bothered by spoilers so I picked this up and I knew exactly which point of the story that was so basically um volume four um for those of you that have read the books uh, and or seen the tv show it covers the period where um Tyrion Lannister meets Shay um um Eddard Stark's head is on a pike and there's a lovely lovely scene with with Sansa and, and Joffrey where he takes her up to the bastions to see the the head of her father uh, and 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 that whole scene unfolding. So it's a charming young man. Oh, such a charming young man, and um, and obviously there's the the death of Carl Drogo and the birth of dragons, which is how how it ends. Um, so th- th- in terms of plot, I mean because everybody knows a game of thrones by either the books or the tv series that's that's what it covers so it's it's you know that the 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 king of the north is is chosen and and robin cat stark are on the path of war and um Tyrion lannister is trying to you know master his forces with poor Tyrion being sort of like dragged into it even though he, he, he totally would not want to be there um just a quick note on spoilers. Um, oh, spoilers. If you're listening to this show and you're like, oh, spoiler-tastic, uh, no. No, I'm really sorry uh, if you haven't either seen the, the TV or the books, but the books have been out long enough and literally this is sort of like, what, about first, second book probably? So it's it's been out that long that I, I'm sorry. I don't really feel that bad about talking about the plot because most people will know what I'm talking about anyways. Yeah. If for any reason you haven't seen the the TV show and haven't read the books and actually, you know, you're a bit intimidated by the books and you're thinking, oh my goodness, that's like a thousand pages per book. I will never go through that. And there's, what, seven of them already and more to come out? No way. Um, actually, the, the, the graphic novel could probably be the thing for you to do because it seems to encompass quite a lot of stories, very faithful to, to the books. Um, and it's it's... It's very pretty. <laughs> well, you know, they say that a picture has, is worth a thousand words. Yeah, is that why you were looking at that particular picture on, <laughs> on that particular page, Edward? Um, so, as obviously, if you're familiar with the Game of Thrones world, you will know that you know Georgie doesn't doesn't pull back the punches. There's a lot of sexual content. I was There's looking a, at the nude pictures. Too, you you were totally looking at the, at the ladies and, and, and stuff. Um, in, so in, yeah, there's, in, there's loads of like visual, graphic, sexual content as well as, you know, gory death and and all that comes with, with the territory. Um, but it's really well done. And one thing that I really like about the artwork is that it's not just sort of based on the actors of the show it's got its own life and you might look at some of the characters and think oh that kind of reminiscent but it's not based see, on it i was thinking that uh, a negativian was looking quite buff yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 um i think they've basically looked more at the books and gone how this hang on this is how i see them uh so like for example daenerys targaryen it does have some reminiscent bits on on the the um actress that portrays her in the series but it, it's not that actress it's it's probably because she was very well cast in general so um out of the books she's visually very very similar to what you would have thought Daenerys looked like but it's not that um and like you know um little Tyrion is is um Tyrion is, looks more like Tyrion yeah yeah it's um what uh, does the what does the Iron Throne look like in the it's it's um very much more um faithful to the book so it doesn't look 
comfy at all. It looks like you know you're gonna get a sword after bronze. I'm trying to find the page with with the with the little Joffrey sitting on the throne um, because it looks really really cool. Um, But yeah, I think if you're a fan of the show and you're a fan of the books and you're one of those that actually like to sort of explore the, the the story from different different medias then definitely pick it up it's a gorgeous gorgeous book to have on your bookshelf um one of the observations i have to make and uh, this is the first time i've seen this book i have to say uh, one of the observations i have to make is uh, i noticed that it's uh, the it's been produced by Dynamite, so Harper Voyager has produced the actual the, the final yeah. book, but yeah. Dynamite have uh, distributed the graphic novel. Yeah. But Dynamite did the individual comic books when yeah. they were coming out. And the thing with comic books, gentle listener, if you're not a huge comic books fan, you might you might not gather that there tends to be a house style to the art. So Marvel Marvel has a preference for diversity in its art style. DC has a preference for a certain sort of conformity and style and so on. And different different comic book publishers have different um, directions. Dynamite have been specialising in fantasy for a while. Their Red Sonja stuff is great fun. Mm. And, you know, they've, they've done a lot of kind of pulpy swords and sorcery stuff. And that kind of glossy fantasy... You know that the distinctive looks. You can see the lineages running across in each character. Oh my goodness, is that the Iron? Fa- this is great radio. Oh my goodness, is that the Iron Throne? That it, looks like the Iron Throne. Yes. It's got a ladder, but apart from that, it's got like a staircase. Yeah, it's got a little like rack- rickety staircase up. A lot of swords. Well, it is. You know, one of the kings got drunk, didn't he, and accidentally <laughs> impaled himself. A little bit, yeah. So it, it's you know it's supposed to be terrifying, and as much as I love the the TV series version it does look comfy mm. yeah it looks like you know I'll, I'd sit there I, don't, I won't fall on that but no the, the the graphic novel is a lot I think I, I don't know if you'll agree obviously you've only seen a few panels but it's a lot grittier in terms of like it's raw fantasy it's not been prettified like the TV show has uh, like you know you've got the arm thrown at the bottom of it you've got a wooden table with you know little finger and virus sitting around it and and all the councillors of the king just having a chat it doesn't look glamorous it looks rough um and i think you know some people that read the books might have found that you know the, the this tv series was, was a bit too glossy and and beautiful and pretty and uh and you know the the, the graphic novel seems to sort of a uh, give a better visual in terms of be, remaining faithful to the book i love the series i do uh, and i do love this so who's it by and what's it on so, uh, obviously, stories by George R. R. Martin, adapted by Daniel Abraham, and art by Tommy Patterson, is distributed by Harper Voyager and uh, created by Diamond. I would absolutely love to see uh, when it comes to the Game of Thrones and George R. R. Martin. As we know, George R. R. Martin is a massive fan. Uh, is a massive fan and goes to Worldcon and all that malarkey. He's got several Hugo Awards. Mm, he does indeed. We won one as well. Well, <laughs> but what I'd love to see someone do is someone to take a load of old Hugo Awards or just make a load of old Hugo Awards and batter them into an iron phone <laughs> <laughs> and get George to sit on it. <laughs> I think that might be a little bit appropriate given the fact, given what's going on with the Hugos. But we'll, the, uh, the Hugo tro- throne, the Hugo the throne. Hugo throne. But yeah, we love franchise fiction. Um, I know some people are like a bit sniffy about it because. You know, you're writing in someone else's world, but that's a restriction. And restrictions encourage creativity. You have to work, if you have to work around a, a restriction, you can create more, you can be more creative sometimes, you can mm. do more things. There's a reason why the Marvel, Marvel comics have turned into such good movies. There's a reason why Superman has been around for so long. There's mm. a reason why we love Star Trek and Star Wars. Franchises work, mm. shared worlds 
work and they're fun mm. yeah no I, I mean um it it's it, 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 today is like a fist for geeks because obviously star wars and and you know the new movie coming out and all that is just mega hyped um game of thrones like the latest series is you know happening and it's just oh. do you know what i saw recently on tony lee's website tony lee is a uh, comic book writer uh, he did a, a doctor who star trek crossover um, oh, I saw that. And he pitched a DS9 crossover <gasps> where the Doctor turns up in the middle of the Dominion War oh, with Clara. That sounds he, it, awesome. Uh, it's uh, it's um, the, the most recent Doctor. So it's Capaldi. It's Capaldi and Clara. And <laughs> Capaldi, um, the Capaldi Doctor knows Dax, who's also an it's, ancient it's an, it's an interesting rule of fandom, isn't it, that at some point... Whatever whatever fandom you're into, at some point somebody will write the crossover fic mm-hmm. between that and Doctor Who. I'm, I'm fairly <laughs> sure there's not a property but out there, be it TV, film, book, graphic novel, whatever, so that doesn't have the crossover. Yeah, he, he, that's what that's he does, isn't yeah. it? He just turns up in like the most unexpected places, and he can do it because he can go anywhere at any time. Super, is it Super Who Lock? Yeah, Supernatural, Doctor Who, and Sherlock. Sherlock. Oh goodness! As a, as, a, as a fandom, it's like its own fandom because of the cross- crossover potential. Oh, we wow. should move away from that. Well, Slowly, backing away. Yeah. Just move away. I can see. I can see the eyes opening of the hordes of Tumblr fans, and they're heading towards us. I think. I think it might be time for us to slowly but surely back away <laughs> from the studio. <laughs> FabRadioInternational.com They're here. Back away slowly and then further. Super Hulock fans are coming in for this. <laughs> so it's goodbye from me and Info House. And it might be the last goodbye from me, <laughs> Ed Fortune. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson.